Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone-Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Annie Highwater. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies in Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Welcome. This is Coming Up for Air. I'm your host, Dominique Simone Levine. I'm here with Kayla Solomon. Good morning, Kayla. Good morning. Lori McDougall is off training uh, a group of people today, so it's just Kayla and myself. We are uh, a podcast for the family and friends of people struggling with addiction. This morning, we're going to let Kayla say a few words about uh, a topic she's interested in raising, and we'll take it from there. Great. So in the group this week, what we talked about are the the patterns that are similar between the loved one and the person um, who is caring for the loved one. And what we focused on is the fact that if you are dealing with any kind of substance use and getting having a problem with it, then there's a pattern of um, obsession and compulsion that's happening. And by by that, what I mean is obsession is the the thinking. So it's having a repetitive thought over and over and over again about a particular thing. So you have this over-focus on a particular issue, whether it's a substance, whether it's a person, whether it's what's going to happen. So that's the obsession piece. The compulsion is the a pattern of behavior. So it's a repeated pattern of behavior where it's this, it comes with a drive of having to do it. You have to do it. You have to do it. So it's not just, oh, I'm working out every day. That's that's a behavior, but the drive behind a repetitive behavior of this has to happen and there's it's it's kind of catastrophic thinking like if I don't do this, I'm not going to be okay. Um and so that's how I see the compulsion piece of it and feel free to jump in and argue with me if you'd like. Um but but what the analogy that we were making is that if you have a substance use disorder, then you are dealing with obsessions and compulsions about those substances. If you are a loved one, what I am suggesting is that you look at the focus of on that you have on that loved one. Okay, if you're the caregiver, if you're the person who loves the person who has substance use disorder, look at your own ways of thinking and behaving with that person because it's a parallel process. Um, and so it's kind of scary to think about that you might have a disorder, and I use that in the loosest terms, that's focused on a person, okay? But that's really what gets played out here. Like, what's, what, what are they doing? I, I wonder how they are. I wonder if they're using. I wonder if what's happening, blah, blah, blah. And then the compulsion part of it is as soon as somebody walks in the door, are you using? What happened? Are you okay? Did you call make this phone call? Did you do this? Did you do this? That's the compulsive behavior that you almost can't help but ask those things because that's the pattern that you got into and that feels like life or death for you, which is exactly what using the substance feels like for the substance user. So what do you think, Dominique? Well, I, I think that I've been corrected by 
psychologists in the field who would make a distinction between obsessive compulsive disorder and, and a substance use disorder or addiction, let's say. And, and they, they would, you know, the, the, the original definition of obsessive, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Please. I'm just trying to clear up. But this is really, it's, it's arguable whether, yes, we all obsess, we all are compulsive. And to some degree, it then becomes addiction. But it's a it's a it's it's a continuum. Washing your hands obsessively is sort of the classic example of obsessive compulsive disorder. Checking the doors are locked five times over for potential fire risk, that sort of stuff. It gets into a loop and you can't help but go have to go through your entire list of solutions to your obsession in order to be able to go to bed, right? So that's an obsessive compulsion. And then when you use substance, substances with obsessiveness, there's something in addition to that that becomes true addiction. So they're still separating the two. I see it more as a continuum. You do something enough times and you, you respond the same way to it, the same way, same way, same way, same way. You essentially you're digging a trench in your mental process and in, in your learning development, right? This is total lay. I sorry for the the terms, but um, there's there's a and and that is the core of craft that that we are animals and we learn and we learn to become addicted to substances and we unlearn to be being addicted to substances. And we unlearn it pretty damn fast. Many people will walk in, not saying everyone, but when you're kind of done and people call it struck by, struck by sobriety, you're done. And you're gonna shift a pattern that's been a long held pattern. And you're gonna start day one, I didn't use. Day two, I didn't use. Day three, right? That's how learning learns. That's how you, become obsessed, you become compulsive, right? And so it's sort of an, a universal what you're describing. Yeah. You're just saying that as family members, I like to call them family members, Thank the you. carers, um, they, um, sure, they're focused, they're enmeshed because it's the squeaky wheel, it's the trouble, it's the, you are gonna obsess on, the, on what's problematic in your life. That's right. And, and, and if it's a person who's just defying everything you're doing to help, you've lectured them, you've scared them, you've taken stuff away, you, you, you know, you've, you've thrown them out, you've done everything you can because their compulsion is greater than, 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 than the regular, than, a, than a, your average person, right? So, I see it more as a continuum, something we all have the potential of doing and, and that families caught in this cycle with a loved one with addiction ends up obsessed and compulsive in their other person. The term codependent is, is so overused. It's like, really, you can see how a, a, a parent, a mom gets trapped in trying to fix her kid, right? Uh, you just... 
you can see it. So it is a parallel process. You're carving out two parts, the, the family, the family compulsion and the, and, the, and the user compulsion to use. And we're saying parallel processes. I, I completely agree. Um, just wanted to broaden it out, show you the clinical way people make distinctions in the, in, in the field of psychology. And also now we can talk about how those parallel patterns look in your loved one who's using and in you, the family member, right? Because it's not so, it's not so different. It's not different. And that, and, and for me, I don't usually get caught up in the disorder piece of it because I'm looking at patterns of behavior. And so I don't think the, you know, we talked about this, the labeling is less important to me than identifying the patterns because what most of the time what we're doing is we're involved in unconscious behaviors, unconscious thoughts, unconscious emotions, that just things happen. And I feel like the more we take it from this, this not knowing about why we're reacting in a particular way and take it and look at it outside of ourselves and take it apart, we have more way, they, they, it gives us more ability to actually do something about it. I also think after I was listening to you that when you look at obsessive compulsive behavior, there's this belief that something bad is gonna happen if you don't do the behavior. And I think what makes it into disorder is that it's not necessarily based on reality. If you don't wash your hands 20,000 times, something bad's gonna happen. But if you're, a, if you're involved in substances, if you don't take the substance, something bad is gonna happen. You're gonna go through withdrawal. You're gonna be uncomfortable. It's gonna make for hardship physiologically. And, and that's for the person who's using the substances. For the, for the family member, there's the same parallel belief of if I don't intervene in this particular way, that person is going to do something very damaging and I need to intervene. I need to do something about it. So it changed that. That's why I don't throw around the word disorder on that because there's reality involved in those actions. The problem is that there's also a lack of reality in that. Also, it's like, if you ask your person a thousand times, what they're doing, what they're using, if they're taking care of yourself. It's not that you're preventing anything from happening, but that's the, the drive behind it. I need to prevent something bad from happening. So I can prevent. I can. I can. Right. And I just and have to hit the it rub. right. There's the rub. I, you cannot. That's the rub. And if you, if you think you can, I... I have to give you this example. Uh, I, I trained with Lori last week and um, I hope this, this mom doesn't um, mind that I'm gonna use her case as an example, but her son has overdosed, he's 19 or 20, 40 times. Of those 40 times, 20 of them have been hard, hard overdoses bang, you use, bang, you're out. Those are the ones I'm familiar with. The, the, less, the, the less dangerous, well, the, the, the less crisis feeling is the one where you just need to be observed while you're high in case you pass out. You just do this gentle sort of passing, nodding off thing and you stop breathing. There have been 20 of those about. And so what the mom has learned to do is to have the son home on the couch, watching TV, feeding him and watching him so that he doesn't go out. So he's under observation. 
He's under her observation. Right. And it would be hard to tell this mom that hasn't worked. Right. Because she's, she's had to revive him. And so there's this really deep pattern in the both of them. He gets to come home, be observed. He gets to get high, come home, be observed, be with mom, watch TV, hang out on the couch and be fed and be high. Right. She gets to feel her own obsessiveness diminished because she's got an eye on him and at least he's not gonna die tonight. Right, right. How do you break that? What do you do with that? That is just sort of the, the essential, isn't it? It feels like the essential yeah. issue for the family member. Forget the young man. I mean, we can work with him. We can get him. And I said, you know, we can get you. They live in a place where there's injection sites and, and, and observation clinics. And I mean, it's not the US. And, um, and so my hunch is to push the kid towards services when he uses so that he stops depending on mom. Right. But mom is going to have a very hard time letting go and saying these services, which he has used both to inject and overdose in, um, weren't the best, right? They're not as good as mom. They didn't make mom feel as good as, as, as having him right there with the naloxone ready to administer, right? Well, but there's also nothing more empowering than having your eyes on somebody. Even if you feel completely out of control, if somebody's in your presence, no matter how delusional it is, you feel like you have control because you know what you're going to do. And like I always say, if you're a family member, you are a you're you are a crisis services officer. You know exactly what the plan is. This happens. I got my the the pen. I I'm going to do naloxone. I'm going to call nine one one. I'm going to do CPR. Like you are a first responder at this point. So. And you get to be a first responder if you're in the presence of somebody. If you're home thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, where is he? What's he doing? What's happening? Is he dead? That's that's the obsessive part of it. But it's also based on possible truth. So, you know, and, and what we talked about this week in, in the group was how do you survive this? Because even first responders have to take a week off or have to go on vacation or they go home. But if home is your, your job and you're doing it 24 hours a day, you might be keeping him alive, but you're killing yourself. And so that's my concern about all of this. Nobody thinks about, oh, I'm a caregiver. You know, like, how, am I okay? Am I going to live through this? That's what one of the women asked this week is she's like, how am I going to live through this? And, and that's why I feel like that if you're a, a family member, you've basically said, I'm going to keep you alive no matter what it takes. And I have, I think that's where we need to stop and look at this. What does it mean no matter what it takes? What are you willing to sacrifice of your own life or of the life of the other people in your family? And I think we really have oh. to talk about this. And, and, and the life of the loved one that, it, that you are misinformed about everything that it takes. I would suggest that craft is the very best that you can train yourself in as a family member to understand what's going on, to give yourself a break from responsibility, 
all of the things that craft does is, is it takes less effort. Sounds like it takes effort, but it takes less effort than what this mom's been doing, how she lives when her son isn't on that couch. As you say, that's the obsessiveness part when he's out in the world, possibly overdosing, because he doesn't seem to, there's no, there's no link. The, the, the bottom of overdose has been lifted for him because mom helps him through. So it's less dangerous for him to go use again because he knows mom is gonna lift the bottom and keep him from dying. So it's a vicious, vicious little circle there. And how do you intervene in that when she feels like it's the only thing she can do to make herself survive, Right. which is to keep an eye on him. Right. And, and how do you get with that? So, so, so Dominic, you just said that the craft is the way to do it. So if you were to say to this woman, okay, let's translate your life into craft. What would be the first thing that you would tell her? I'd say we have to wean you off that couch. Okay. With him, which means that he, you know, if she doesn't have ready resources in the area that she make a list of the injection sites, the observation clinics, you know, the resources, the, the recovery places where he can hang out. She needs to push him out the door a little bit and, and not have him rely on her couch. And that's, that's gonna be very hard. That's all I would ask her to do right now is think about not 100%, but can you do it a little less? Can you find an excuse? Can you, can you do something else with him before he uses so you don't end up on the couch? So there's lots of ways to intervene around that episode, that reoccurring incident. And, um, and there's ways that she communicates with him before he uses or before he leaves. She tried, it was interesting. She, she said, um, he's the kind of kid you can't reward. And I said, really? And I said, because, you know, when you start to look at, um, at the situation, when you break it down, like you said, and look at externalities, right? You start to look at um, what is rewarding to him. She says nothing, right? And during the break, she went down and tried one of the little rewards that is easy as anything to do, which was he was packing up to go to work. He was on time. He had his backpack. She, he'd been withdrawing in the bedroom for two days. So he comes out day three ready for work. So she went, hey, you look great. Do you, can I fill your water? And can I make you a sandwich? And good to see you. Have a good day. That was a huge reward. Exactly. She came down all beaming. I said, how do you feel? She said, man, I feel great. And I said, that, that's what we're talking about. Yes. Craft is those little tiny details, but they make such a difference. They made a difference in her day. They made a difference in his day. Right. And you don't know what's going to make a difference. So you just keep throwing these little things at them all day and at yourself all day. And, and, and quickly the ground shifts and you, you see him differently. You see yourself differently. You see, the, you see the boundaries of what you can and cannot control better, right? And craft has studied it so we can tell you what the border should look like. Ideally, we're gonna to have to apply it to your situation. We can suggest some very important philosophical and theoretical reasons for why this works. And, um, and it works very quickly to start to break down those patterns. But I so think that's that how you survive it. 
Right. And, and what you're point. saying is essential here because people think that there's some kind of big change, miracle thing. There's this carrot at the end of the stick that everybody thinks when they think rewards. And that is not helpful because the most helpful thing is all relationships happen in these little micro interactions. And what we don't realize because we're not aware of them is that there's things that we could do constantly to change our tone, to change our perception, to change what we're saying to people, to notice the positive. And that's what changes everything. Because if you are if you are dealing with somebody who has substance use patterns, there's a very good chance that they have low self-esteem. And what we often will do is operate in a way where we're actually transmitting shame. Okay. And you translate shame. If you, if you're speaking in a shame version or like, and they're hearing it, even if you're not meaning it, like, well, you you know, nothing I do is right and nothing's enough and it doesn't matter what I do. So that's shame talk. Okay. And so what we get to do is if we focus on um, being the detective for the positive, noticing it microscopically, then that's actually us doing the building. Because I remember, I, I've been doing this work long enough that I come from the time when in therapeutic communities, they operated on a shame. The, the idea was to break people down because they were dysfunctional. So we're gonna break them down and then build them back up. But if you try to, if you assault somebody, if you're negative, if you're critical of somebody who's got shame, you're destroying them. It's not breaking them down, it's destroying. It just verifies their belief about themselves. So our job is to find the good, okay? Because they can't. But if we can, then we're already doing something right. And that's what we mean by reward. It's not like, oh, you've been clean for three weeks. There's, there's moments in the day where people are clean because they can't help it. <laughs> and that's when you go in. That's when you are positive. So you find it, you look for it. And by you looking for it, you're already changing your life because that's been proven. It's like people who have gratitude, people who are appreciating what's good, people who are noticing the good actually are improving their mood and they're improving their sense of happiness. For the family member and for the loved yes. one, you're, 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 what we're teaching you is to shape what you want. You, 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 you see a little bit of it, like maybe my dog's ear perked up. He didn't turn around when I said come, but I could tell he heard me. So maybe I say, hey, good boy, because he heard me. And then the next move is maybe he cocks his head back to look at me. I would, I would reward that. You want and then eventually he'll come because little by little, incrementally, I've encouraged that. It's it's it feels like nothing, but it is everything. It is everything. And just a couple things that to underline in what you said, it's that, you know we need to build people back up and we yes. need to build ourselves back up. We come likely from some part of us has low self-esteem as well. We are sensitive as well. We are vulnerable as well. We are emotional as well. And, and we've got to take care of all of those things like the person with addiction does um, because it's likely they're fragile that way. Yes. And addiction doesn't happen one day and then the, the, the carrot comes out. It's just the right carrot and the whole world swooshes around you and out pops a sober person. That is not how it happens. It's trying, failing, trying again, 
succeeding a little, wow, succeeding a little, that's really, that's really important. So can we help them succeed a little? Like the mom who said, you know, he's only been sober a week and I know he's gonna fail. He always does about this time. And I went, wow, right. man, a whole week, cheerlead, go girl, go girl, you know? And it's like, and we have on the site, the membership site, which is alliesinrecovery.net. Um, if you go on the site, we teach all of this in, in useful, easy to understand videos and a series of key observation exercises. Because I think what underlines everything we've said this morning is the taking the unconscious and pulling it forward towards the conscious. And you're gonna do that through filling out these key observations because they ask you to break down an event, a pattern. Uh, how did he look? How did he think? What did he say? What did he do? You know, and, and, and what did you say? And what did you do? So you have these patterns. We're going to help you find them. We're going to help you bring the unconscious to the conscious. But the first step is to make you aware that you are doing these patterns and it's, you're both doing a dance that's well rehearsed and, and you're going to, you're the healthier one. So you're going to have to change the dance a little bit, just a little bit. And, and you're going to see it's a, it's a worldview change. It's, it's that seismic, right? It is, I guess, you know, it is, it, it, it's, it's, uh, everything to a family member to get this new view, right? This new lens through which to see things, understand the patterns. Craft teaches you everything you need to know. You just have to and be working with it. That's the problem. You got to practice. You got to practice. And it's so useful. It's You can practice it with anyone. But you it's a set of skills that once you start working to on them, you will see immediately. Like this mom, during the break of a training, she goes down and finds a way to reward him in a way that she hadn't understood how rewards can should work. Right. And she'd been rewarding. I love you. Hug, hug, you know, bad, good, whatever. But she rewarded the good and she didn't reward the bad, you know? So it, it, it's, it's that teasing apart in your patterns. That'll be clear. They'll be clear or it's hard. No, it, it's hard to, to get all those pieces, but we can help you make sense of what seems chaos and unsensical. So I, what, but I also feel like what you're saying is, is essential here is that, that, by us changing, we're doing exactly what we're asking our loved ones to do. Because we want them to change, but we need to show them that our patterns, that we're actually investing in the same thing we're asking them to do. And we're doing the same thing for how many years and, and Rome was not built in a day. I also absolutely believe in the erosion version of change. I, you know, like if the, the sand on the beach did not just appear, Okay, the waves lap up and and lap out and whatever roll out, and over time you go from being a massive boulder to being a beach filled with sand. And so, be patient, be kind with yourself. Of course, you're going to try something and fail. Of course, you're going to do it right one time, and the next time it's not going to work. That's how life is. It's not this. It's not this one-way street. It's that you give the process time because it needs time. And again, every week we talk about space. It's like, how do you step back and have this bigger sense of like, it's just not going to change tomorrow. 
but what do I do today to work on myself? What do I do to bring some of the skills in? What can I practice today that changes the dynamic? And that's your power position. Your power position is yourself. You can change. You work on yourself. You work on your own survival. You work on your own self-care, like all the things that are on the site. It's like self-care, communication in a positive way, looking at how you think about things. There's so many skills that you can learn that, by the way, I think everybody on the planet should be doing. We're just in crisis situation here. But it's these are skills that you shouldn't just be practicing with your loved one. Practice it in your whole life so that when it's time for you to interact with your loved one, you're you have some preparation. That's right. That's right. You, you, you have some, you, you have even scripted out the main points so that you're sure to hit them. That's, that's what we mean by practice. And it's very hard. You, as you see, as a family member doing the work of craft, it's hard to motivate oneself to come to a site that's going to remind you of everything you're doing hard not to think about, right? But that's the work. And that's the same work a person with addiction has when they start to work on recovery. They don't want to work on recovery. They want to they want to do things that are, you know, that are instantly fun. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's both of you taking, making a real effort. And I think if I could understand how to motivate families, I, I think I could, if I could pay you guys, <laughs> if I could give you little, key rewards I would do that on our site to just wow that was so cool you know I started hitting them hitting people with more emojis and and the little things you can do to go you know I've heard and 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 just little things to just notice just to notice as much as you can and 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 your day will be better we are at 9 15 Kayla okay so much have a fabulous weekend bye-bye bye Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesandrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, our production team, and Michael Mauboussin for the original music composition.